This morning I wanted to, well Jeff asked me I guess a couple of weeks ago if I would share this morning and um, I, I got to warn you I've been told if I lean too far forward here it's going to make a weird noise and I can guarantee you I'll probably do it about 10 times because uh, when you're nervous you kind of lean in so I apologize that for in advance but so this morning I want to share a few scripture that, scriptures that God has really kind of been speaking into my life over the last, last uh, really three or so years um, as some of you know, I'm pursuing a doctorate degree in trauma counseling, and so I, uh, I basically have two more classes, and then my dissertation left finally. It's, it's felt like this long, crazy road. Um, but these scriptures I'm going to share with you today have really kind of been instrumental and foundational in, in how God's been kind of leading me towards this and, and kind of what the doors he's already opened up through this and, um, and the lives that have been impacted by bringing his word and his hope and his promises into people that are experiencing trauma, you know, in uh, coping with, with the impact of trauma. So before that, we'll open up with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you uh, for what Gail showed us, Lord, your amazing creation. Just, you know, how can people deny your existence and point to any other source for some of this stuff that Gail showed. Purely it was the work of your hands, and how people can doubt, I don't know. Lord, as we have our heads bowed right now, Lord, I pray also that we'd be bowing our wills, bowing our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, and that we would be receptive, fertile soil for the word that you have for us today. Lord, we know the value of your word. We're so thankful for the word. You didn't leave us here without an instruction manual. And I pray that this would be the instruction manual of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with the first piece of scripture is Isaiah 55. So if you can please turn to Isaiah 55. And really we're just going to take a look at the first couple of verses. So a few years back, <clears throat> really right about the time that I felt God putting a different call on my life and pursuing this trauma counseling degree... Um, I went through this really weird period. Couldn't explain it. I couldn't eat. I had no appetite. I, I knew I had to eat to live. Um, but just, you know, I'd put it into my stomach and it just didn't feel right. And this went on for weeks and weeks. And, um, and it wasn't just a physical lack of appetite, but it was also a spiritual dryness, a mental hole that I was in. I just really couldn't figure it out. And um, so obviously, you know, I turned to myself, you know, what, what am I doing wrong in that? And so just one day I was uh, reading one of the online um, devotionals and Isaiah 55 was, was the verse that was presented to me. And so I read it and I'm sure you guys have had those experiences when you're reading a little piece of scripture and it's like the light bulbs go on. And God has, you know, those moments where you can tell he's talking right into your heart. He's put his finger on the problem. And, um, and he kept me in Isaiah 55, <clears throat> really the first part of Isaiah 55, for a couple of weeks. I just couldn't get away from it. I just coming back to it, kept coming back to it. So what I want to do is start with um, the first two verses from Isaiah 55. So I'm reading from the ESV, so it might be a little bit different than some of the versions you guys are reading from out there. but um, So Isaiah 55, starting the first one, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
And he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. And, and what this spoke into my life at, at the time was the fact that um, I guess things were going kind of easy for me. I was pretty satisfied with the things in my life at the time. Um, you know, I just, I was filling myself up on, on all the things that this world offers. And, and God just put this, uh, this, this illness, I don't know, meant, you know, just the spiritual sickness. And I just couldn't, nothing in the world tasted good anymore. You know, nothing was good, nothing satisfied by me. And I just, I just couldn't figure out. And this scripture right here really hammers that on the head, doesn't it? So we, we begin with, this is an invitation to everyone. It says, come everyone, right? He has provisions for all. Everyone can come. He has enough for everyone, right? So it's, it's pretty inclusive. He says, come everyone, but it's also exclusive. And how is it exclusive? It says, everyone who thirsts, right? If you're not thirsty, if you're not hungry, are you going to come? Are you going to respond to his call? You know, are you filling your life with all these things that the world has to offer you and you've lost your thirst and your hunger for God? He says, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Right? Usually in this world, if somebody offers us something for free, it's usually a scam, right? It's, it's too good to be true. Usually if it's too good to be true, it's, uh, it's false, right? This... No money. He's paid the price already. We celebrated that last weekend, right? He's offering you this for free. Come to him for free. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's not just offering you welfare. He's offering you wine and milk. You know, I can't help but think of the marriage feast of the Lamb here, right? says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? I talked a little bit before about filling yourselves up on the things of this world. It made me think back to when I was a kid. And uh, as a kid, we were pretty poor. We didn't go out to eat a lot. But when you did, you know, you go and your meal would come with French fries or whatever. And so I'm, I'm eating the French fries and your parents tell you, hey, hold off. You know, don't fill yourself up on the French fries. Or I was talking to Jimmy yesterday, your drinks. Don't fill yourself up on the drinks. Eat your hamburger, you know. And we can do that. We can fill ourselves up on, on, on the little things, on the French fries of life, right? And then we don't, we don't have any room anymore for God. We, we've lost our hunger and our thirst for him. You know, I, was, uh, I travel a lot for work, and we flew into San Antonio, and there was three of us were sharing a car. Two of us got there first. And we're waiting on the other guy, so we went to go grab some lunch. Um, both of us had early flights, didn't really get a chance to eat breakfast, so we'll go eat something while we wait. And the restaurant that we went to had, I don't even know what kind of bread it was and butter, but it was the most amazing, probably because I was hungry, 
I hadn't eaten since dinner the night before, but it was the most amazing bread and the most amazing butter. But it wasn't meant to be the meal. It was meant to be the appetizer, right? Well, and it came in these cool little loaves, right? So I was like, well, I'll eat one while I wait. And then one became two and three. I was like, man, I can't get over this. I'm, I'm telling the guy next to me, I was like, man, this is not the best bread and butter that you've ever had in your life. So I, uh, I had ordered, I think, a chicken breast or something. And so by the time it came, I was full. I had eaten like 100 of those little loaves of bread. And so we can do that with other things in our lives, right? Family, relationships, um, hobbies, work, long, you know, desires for success. You know, not all of that is bad things, but if we're filling ourselves up on those things and not making God a priority and leaving room for him, you know, really we should be filling ourselves up with him first and then living in that as we do our other things in our lives, right? That's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to be asking you a few questions this morning. Is I want you to ask yourselves and consider, how is your thirst this morning? You know, Have you filled yourselves up with some of the other things of life and your desire and your thirst for God isn't quite what it was before? Maybe you've filled up on wealth or material possessions, success, the car that you drive, the car that you want, hobbies. Got me thinking on Jeremiah 2.13. It says, you know, God says there's two evils, right, that my people have done. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I also think of two other characters. The rich young ruler we read about in Matthew 19.16. You know, he's asking Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus begins by listing the Ten Commandments, right? Sections of the Ten Commandments. The young man says, all these things I've done. And then Jesus says, okay, we'll sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. But he goes away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. He wasn't thirsty enough. He was full on life, right? The rich fool... It's interesting, it actually says that at the title in the Bible, but the rich fool in Luke 12, 16, he had a very abundant harvest, right? And since he did not have enough room to store all of his harvest, he does what? He tears down his barns and builds bigger barns, right? And then he realizes, he takes stock of what he's harvested, and he says, you know what? I've got enough to last me years. So what am I going to do? I'm going to hang out, kick back in the recliner. I've got plenty for me, Right? He was full on what the world was offering him, but he had no thirst for God. I think also to the Lord's message to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, uh, 14 and 18, if you want to turn there quick. Revelation 3, 14. Starting with verse 14, he says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourselves with the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So here we find a, a church that was full on the world, right? They're rich, they're prosperous. Things are going well, right? What did that cause them to become? Lukewarm, right? Same thing can happen to us when we're filling ourselves up on life. You know, I got thinking about this, and, and it's not that God doesn't want you to have things. He doesn't want your things to have you. You know, and that's what his message is here, right? He wants, his thir- he wants your thirst and your desires to be for him first, right? Maybe... Maybe it isn't the things of the world that have uh, dampened your thirst. Maybe it's things that have happened to you, right? Or maybe your pursuit of money, success, family, relationships, maybe those didn't pan out the way you wanted to. So now you try and find your fulfillment in other ways, maybe in alcohol, drugs, shopping, prescription drugs, material possessions, food, the government, more education, political correctness, what have you, right? You, you try and find, find your fulfillment in other ways. But I'm sure we can all attest to the fact that this world offers us nothing but empty promises. You know, I think everybody here, I, I know a lot of you and I've spoken to you, I've heard you speak, like everybody's been through something. The world has beaten them down, bruised them, they've been bloodied. There's nothing out there that compares to what God has to offer. So this is a call, it's an invitation to those who've been drawing from the wrong wells. They've been filling up on the water, that's just going to leave them thirsty. As I was reading through this and preparing for this message, where was it, where was kind of God going to take me on this? Um, I got thinking about the woman at the well. Right? So I'd like if you would turn with me to John chapter 4, please. So when you're nervous, you know, as a psychology major, one way that people deal with nervousness is they tell jokes, right? You know, you've probably come across people, they're in a situation, they're awkward, so they kind of go to jerks or they talk about jokes. Freudian slip. Um, they, talk, they tell a joke or they talk about the weather, you know, some, something like that. So I, I have a joke here while you guys are turning to the woman at the well. And somebody in this room has heard this joke before. So I met this woman. She was probably the sweetest, most godly woman, I, one of them that I've ever met. And I remember her telling, you know, I was in a group and she was telling us that she identifies as the woman at the well. And I said, well, how's that? And she goes, well, as you can tell, I'm kind of a big woman. So I'm also a woman from, of some area. <laughs> yes. She told it, not me. Yeah. Hopefully nobody comes up and smacks me like happened in Hollywood. But, but. All right, so here we are. We're in John chapter 4. So we're introduced to this woman, and she's also been drawing from the wrong wells. 
So what do we already know about um, the woman at the well? Because I know this has been preached on hundreds of times. I can't tell you how many times I've been through this message. But I love it. It's one of my favorite ones because there's so much there. There's so much richness here. There's so many things that you can just draw out of it because you're at a well. But <laughs> yeah. Jokes, right? All right. So what do we already know about this story? So we have Jesus. He's, and, and the text says he's got to pass through Samaria, right? So what do we already know about that? The Jews... And the Samaritans, they didn't have a great relationship. They didn't get along. And it was actually common for um, a Jewish person, man, instead of going through Samaria, they would go around, right? But the, the text tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. We also know that she's by herself, right? It's, a, it's the hottest time of the day. So not only is she by herself, well, which normally culturally at the time, the women would come together, and they'd go out to draw their water together as a group, and they'd usually do it in the morning when it was really cool, or in the evening when it was cool again, right? But here she is, she's, she's coming, she's drawing water by herself. Not only that, Jesus is a man speaking to a woman who's not his family or his uh, spouse by themselves, right? So that wasn't socially acceptable. Not only that, but he's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman by themselves. So what we see in this story is Jesus is really kind of breaking all of these societal norms of the day. And not only that, but he reveals himself as the Messiah to this woman. He volunteers this information to her. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. And we'll read through it here. We'll start with uh, verse... So it says, and he, meaning Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. They went to Subway to get some lunch. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up, for, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not, have, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. So she's focused on the physical, right? You know, just, just like we can be. We can focus on the physical. So Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. So now notice she doesn't say I've had five husbands and the guy I'm living with right now is not my husband. 
right? Isn't that something that we tend to do when we meet somebody, right? We, we don't tell them everything. We, you know, somebody shared at the men's retreat, we, we can wear masks, right? And so she's kind of got this, this mask. She's, she doesn't want him to know the true depth of her life, what's really going on. So Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So what we see here, and, and I'm sure you guys have found this, maybe you've witnessed to somebody and they can tell you're a Bible thumper for lack of a better term. And so what do they do? They kind of whip back at you some sort of hypocrisy maybe that they think, you know, they, they know one verse of the whole Bible and they're going to use it out of context, you know. So she's kind of throwing back religion at him, right? Why? Because it's better than getting down to the heart of the matter, you know. So Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what do we, we find out here? So she's been, uh, what I would say is that she's been drawing from the well of relationships, right? She's had five marriages. She's now in another relationship that, with somebody that's not her husband. We also see that Jesus already knew every failure, every sin. You know, he reveals to her, I already know you. But yet he's still talking to her. Yet he still had to go through Samaria to speak to this woman. Jesus is making an offer to her, but it's not an exclusive offer to perfect people only. How many people fall into that trap of, I've got to get right, I've got to get clean, I've got to get rid of all these problems in my life before I can go to church, before I can um, give my life to Christ? He already knows it, yet he still makes her this offer. He knows that she's been drawing from the wrong wells. And so with you today, maybe you've been drawing from those same wrong wells, you know, whether it's relationships like, like this woman, money, success. The more you have sometimes, the more you need, right? So you pursue it more. But Jesus says, hey, I get all that, but I'm going to offer you the water, living water, and if you partake of this water, you'll never thirst again. So in my uh, counseling classes, we do a lot of these case studies. And um, what's cool about Liberty University, it's a Christian school, we do a lot of case studies of characters from the, from the Bible. So we've done some really good case studies on Elijah. We've done a case study on, on the woman at the well here. And so on, at face value, it looks like, well, she's got a problem with men, right? Um, we don't know why, right? 
So I started to think about that, and I took that analytical psychology approach to this, and, um, and I thought, well, what's led her to the point where she's now had five husbands and now is with, with another guy? You know, was it abuse? You know, we find in a lot of case studies, women will later in life, and it happens for guys too, they'll bounce around from a relationship because they've been abused, and so they're trying to find what they didn't get in their childhood in relationships later in life. So maybe that's something that was going on. She was abused or neglected, right? I was really kind of pondering this, so I asked my wife the other night, and she's shaking her head. I said, what do you think? What, what do you think has brought her to this point in her life where she's just going after relationship after relationship? And her, her thought was, well, maybe all of the five husbands have died, right? I said, so that's a possibility. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. My wife is telling me this. Do I need to start sleeping with one eye open at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> But well, we don't we don't get that clarity. But I like to always put skin on people, like Jeff says, put skin on the characters that we read about. You know, what what has brought her? Is it just purely sin, her desire for men? You know, she gets bored with one and moves on to another. I don't really think that's the case because what we know about society and culture at this time, it was easy for a man to divorce a woman, but not for a woman to divorce a man, right? So clearly it wasn't her, you know based upon that, that was divorcing these guys. So maybe the guys were just abandoning her. We don't know, but, but just think about it. But whatever it is, whether it was something that happened early in life or something that's happened, you know, she's, she's been left. Most likely, she's been left with man after man. And so what does she do? She tries to find her fulfillment in another relationship. So that's where she's at right now. She's living with another man. Sometimes it's, it's trauma that drives you to find fulfillment in the wells that this world offers. Relationships, sex, money, success, whatever the case may be. You know, Jeff mentioned something um, last Sunday, and it's really been in my mind all week. He said, and it's something that we've all said a lot, he said there's a hurting world out there. And that's very true. I just wrote a paper for my class. It's on family trauma. And so we had to look up some statistics because there's a hurting world out right now. Right now we have um, child suicide rates unlike any we've ever seen in history. We have more people on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications than ever. And so everybody right now, what do they want to do? They want to blame COVID, right? It's the pandemic. It's because people haven't been able to go out and do things. They haven't been able to go to school whatever the case may be. So we looked at that in this class that I'm in right now. So here's some interesting statistics. This is a pre-pandemic problem to steal my own thunder. So there was a study that looked at the period between 2007 and 2018. And between that period, the suicide rate from 2007 to 2018 for people in the age group of 10 to 24 increased by 60%. That's pre-pandemic. 60%. That's insane for an 11-year period. We also looked at adult mental health. Another study from 2018 found that at that time, just about 25 million adults in the United States alone were on antidepressants. That wasn't even looking at anti-anxiety medications or any other medications out there. 25 million. 
That same study looked at 2010. Once again, a 60% increase from 2010 to 2018 of people on antidepressants pre-pandemic. So obviously, it's a hurting, hurting world out there, and it's been hurting before COVID, right? And so I was really just kind of sitting with those statistics, thinking through them, because I had just written a paper on them. But the same thing, same thought kept coming to my mind. And yes, it's a hurting world out there, but I'd argue that it's a hurting world in here too, right? I know some of what you guys have been going through recently, you know? I see it come out on the prayer chain. People are struggling with things in here too, right? So maybe you are going through something right now, right? Maybe you're going through a tough situation and instead of falling on your knees and offering that up to God, you're turning to the wells of the world out there, right? I'm always encouraged by John 16:33. It's Jesus, and you could say this is his final message to the disciples. And he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? The word that, that uh, is, is used here for tribulation, some interpretations have trouble. If you look at the, the root word in Greek, it's, it means extreme pressure, like the crushing of grapes. That's what it's referenced to when they crush grapes, right? So it doesn't mean in this world you're going to spill coffee on yourself, you're going to get a flat tire, anything like that. You are going to feel crushed at times. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In the word, word take heart here, it says take heart um, in ESV. But if you look at the word, it really means have courage, to be courageous, right? And so just as Jesus looked into the eyes of his disciples here at the end of his bodily life, Jesus wants each of you to know that in this world you're going to have tribulation. You are going to have trouble. In this week, you're going to have tribulation. In your job, you're going to have tribulation. In your relationship, you're going to have tribulation. The doctor's diagnosis isn't always going to be what you wanted it to be. Sometimes you're going to face tribulation because of something you've done yourself, some sin. Sometimes you're going to face tribulation because something somebody else has done to you or to somebody that you love, right? Sometimes you're going to have tribulation that's brought on by the enemy. Sometimes you're going to face tribulation because you are standing upon the word of God and not bowing down to the ungodly things that are going on outside the, those doors, right? So sometimes, just like Daniel, you're going to find yourself in the lion's den. And just like his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to find yourself in a fiery furnace. But at that time, where, what, and to whom are you going to turn? Do you turn back to the wells out there that offer nothing but pain and sorrow and emptiness in the end? A big thing we, we talk about in, in psychology, and it applies here, it's not always about the place or the situation that you're in as much as it is about the state of mind that you have while you're in that situation. 
When the turmoil comes, and boy, is it going to come, some of you are facing it right now. What are you turning to? Are you setting your mind on the empty things of this world, on the false hopes? Or are you sending your mind on the one who tells us to have courage because he has already overcome the world? That's the mindset we have to have. It's been said that courage is the absence of fear. But it's, it's really not. Courage means you feel the fear, but you still move forward anyway. And how can we do that? If our mind is set on, the, on this right here, if that's our foundation, we can move forward. No matter the turmoil that we face, no matter the trouble, the tribulation, don't turn to the empty wells out there. Turn to this. I want to go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quickly. So you really get a picture of the mindset that they had and what they were focused on as you read through Daniel 3. And so I'll say, we're getting short on time, so I'm going to read it from here. So Daniel 3, 16 to 18, if you want to jot that down, make sure I'm not lying later on. <laughs> it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. For this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And what happens? They end up in a fiery furnace, right? But these three men had the mindset that was set on God. They were set on who he is, and what his promises are to those who are faithful. They were confident that even if God didn't save them from the fire or save them in the fire, he was going to save them through the fire. Maybe you're facing your own fiery furnace right now. And maybe you're praying, Lord, take me out of this fire, right? But maybe the place that you're in right now is exactly where he can do his best work in you and through you. A section of scripture that God really put on my heart uh, and spoke into my life when I was in my own fiery furnace. I had just had three very good friends of mine, three fellow veterans that had committed suicide. And at the same time, I was dealing with my own PTSD. And God brought me through that, and he put this scripture on my mind. And this is really the, the core scripture that he used to set me on the path to become a trauma counselor. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. If you want to turn there. So 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I went through a, a fiery furnace, and I got to admit there were temptations to just turn back to the things of this world, you know. I wanted, I wanted out of that situation 
but God worked through that situation. And he's given me a heart now to help others who face those same trials and those same tribulations. And now I can offer them the same hope that he gave me in my own trial. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Greek word used there for burdens means something excessive or extreme weight. You know, you can't bear it yourself, right? And in doing that, so fulfill the law of Christ. It gets me back to John uh, 13, 34 through 35, and Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved, if you have love for one another. So we're going to go through things. We've been through things. Some of you are going through things. Some of you have come out of things. Maybe you've lost a loved one, a close loved one. Maybe you've lost a marriage. Maybe you've lost a job whatever the case may be, and God brought you some sort of comfort in that, we are told to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside of them, right? God pours into us so that we can pour into others. One thing that I've, I've found, especially as I've been looking at these trauma case studies, is that God specializes in healing the broken and then using them and working through them to reach the broken. Or you could even say God specializes in reaching the broken through the broken. I don't know what everybody here this morning might be going through right now, what you've just come out of, but I can guarantee you this. Either you're in turmoil, you've just come out of turmoil, or you're heading into more turmoil. Jesus told us that, right? In this world, we're going to face that. And so maybe you're left with a sense of emptiness. You, you, you feel something's just lacking, right? You've been stuck in this vicious cycle of going back to the empty wells that the world offers. To you, Jesus invites you to come. There's a phrase of one of uh, Pascal's writings, and it says this, you've probably heard it. It says, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Some of you have lived that firsthand, and I know you have. And so no matter what you've been through, try as you might, you're never going to find the fulfillment out there that you're going to find in Jesus Christ. So maybe you're a believer already today and you're going through something and you just want to get out of it. Instead of turning to God, you're turning back to the things of this world. Turning back to the empty wells. And Jesus is asking, why? Why are you spending your labor and your efforts and your energy on the things out there that aren't going to satisfy you when he's offering you so much freely. Maybe even filling up on french fries. We talked about that earlier. 
you know, not necessarily that they're bad things, but you've just been filling yourself up on them and you no longer have that hunger and thirst that you once had. You've become lukewarm. And then lastly, as the body of Christ here, as brothers and sisters, we need to keep the words of Paul in Galatians and demonstrate our love for one another in bearing each other's burdens. Use the pain and the anguish that you've been, that you've had and you've felt that you've been through and speak that comfort that you received into other people's lives. Come alongside them. It's great to be part of this family, isn't it? Is this not the best family, right? You know, I got thinking back to when we were in Uganda a few weeks ago. Our last night um, in Kampala, we, we had a praise and worship a couple hours there. And we had some chuckleheads from New York. The, the one guy was from South Sudan, right? South Sudanese uh, soldier. We had Sasha, his wife and daughter from Russia. And then we had people from Uganda and Jill's from California. Like, only in God's kingdom can you find that group of people together in worshiping God. In Uganda, of all places. I mean, just, just a hodgepodge of people. It was a collection of misfit toys, really. You know? But God's got a special place for misfits. And he's calling you to him. We really have the best father, don't we? Is there any better father out there? And he's calling to you this morning, come, if you thirst, come to me, and I will give you the waters that will truly quench your thirst. And so, Father, we thank you just for the privilege that it is to call you Father. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that when this world leaves us broken and battered and bruised. We're thankful, one, that you warned us that we were going to have those moments of tribulation. But you also gave us that hope, like the song earlier said, that we can set the anchors of our hearts into. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that we would fulfill what you want us to do, Lord, your commandment to love one another as you have loved us. Amen.